Syracuse Medical Dispensary, established in 1850, for the relief of the misguided and imprudent votary of a false pleasure who, finding that he has imbibed the seeds of a certain loathsome disease, is, from an ill-timed sense of shame, deterred from applying to a physician whose knowledge and experience can alone befriend him in distress. Persons calling see no one but the doctor. In view of the vast destruction of human life caused by the unsuccessful treatment of sexual diseases and the deceptions used by unprincipled quacks in medicine, we deem it our duty to suffering humanity to extend our notice of having attached to our institution a dispensary for the cure of all diseases of a private or venereal character. The faculty of this institution embraces the best medical talent in the Reform School of Medicine, and the physician who superintends this department has, as he justly deserves, the reputation of being the best sexual surgeon in the country. No matter what the disease may be, or of how long standing, we guarantee a perfect cure in all cases by remedies which contain no mineral or poisonous drugs, require very little change of diet, and we also guarantee to cure you at a very low price, much less than that usually charged. To young men, we pledge ourselves to entirely remove the effects of secret habits, seminal weakness, etc., by local applications easy to be used, causing no pain or inconvenience. Address by mail as below. Persons at a distance cured at home by writing a letter giving a full statement of their symptoms and enclosing $5 for which medicine will be sent them by mail or express, secure from danger or observation, with full and explicit directions for use. Important to ladies, all diseases peculiar to females, leucorrhea whites, suppression of the menses, painful menstruation, inflammation and ulceration of the womb, prolapsus uteri, or falling of the womb, treated on scientific principles. Golden female powders, one of the best medicines for obstructions, etc., ever used, warranted to produce the desired effect if used according to directions, price of powders, $2 per package, sent by mail to any address. French patent, mail safe. It is perfectly safe and never fails to give satisfaction. It is the only safe and sure preventative against pregnancy and disease. The price of the French patent, mail safe, two for $1 or $5 per dozen, sent by mail. Just published, two books in one on private diseases and diseases of females, the nature, treatment, and radical cure of spermatorrhea or seminal weakness, sexual debility, nervousness, involuntary emissions and impotency, resulting from self-abuse, etc. Also, reliable advice in relation to marriage, conception, and the means by which it can be avoided, if necessary, and other matters of vital importance to the married and those contemplating marriage. The knowledge therein contained is not to be found in any other work ever published.
nor obtainable from any other sources whatever. Price, 25 cents. Sent to any address on receipt of the price or its value in stamps. Persons who, after reading this work, are not satisfied that it is worth at least four times its price can have their money refunded. Address, S.M. Dispensary, Box 99, Syracuse, New York. Apply to Dr. W.R. Watson, Consulting Physician of the Institution. Office number 10, Whiting Block, opposite Syracuse House, Syracuse, New York. I flew the air with the greatest of A daring young man on the dying Hi there. This is Hugh Yeeman, and you're listening to Historic Headlines, the podcast where we gain historical insight by examining newspaper articles from 50, 100, and 150 years ago this week. There's too much confusion. I can't get no relief. Hey there, and welcome to episode two. I hope you enjoyed that ad that I read before the show opener. I've been wanting to read that for a while. It's been cropping up in newspapers left and right for weeks and weeks. Uh, This particular instance was printed in the Syracuse Daily Standard, February 6th, 1868. That was on the front page. And I find sexually explicit content like that to be delightful because when I was a kid, I was somehow raised with that notion that a lot of people absorb, I suppose, that my generation was the first concupiscent generation, and we're all going to hell in a handbasket, and generations before mine were pure and sweet and chaste. And every time I run into something like this that flies in the face of that, I get a real sense of satisfaction. So this episode is about spiritualists and spiritualism. And if you want to know more about that, well, you can Google spiritualism in the 1860s just as well as I can. And I highly recommend doing so because you'll find a lot of interesting stuff. The essence of spiritualism is spirits persist after death. They continue to grow and to gain knowledge, and we can communicate with them. Hence, seances, clairvoyance, knocking, yada, yada, yada. It's interesting stuff. Again, I recommend looking into it. But for now, on to our first article. This is from the Syracuse Daily Standard, Thursday morning, February 6th, 1868. The Spiritualistic Gold Hunters in Connecticut. A letter from Hazardville, Connecticut, states that the excitement about the treasure seekers in that region still continues. Mr. Putnam, the superintendent of operations, is not the least discouraged and will continue the work until he finds the treasures or is ordered off by the spirits in charge of affairs. The diggers commenced about ten feet above the waterline, digging on a level into the bank for twenty feet, a hole eight feet wide, 
They then uncovered a rock or ledge into which they have worked ten feet deep, bearing to the right and working under the right bank six or seven feet. They next turned to the left, working straight for the supposed cave and the two iron chests that contain the precious metal. Nearly every night, Mr. Putnam receives a letter from Miss Caswell, the directing Boston medium, describing what he has done and giving directions what to do, which instructions he follows to the very letter. His friend wrote to him a short time since, inquiring when he was coming home, to which he replied that he might be home on the 4th of July, 1868, and it might be ten years from then, or he might end his days there. He is as tenacious as a bulldog. Naturally, I was curious about this crazy story, so I did a little more digging and found the following article. Now keep in mind, we're jumping back a month. This is the Albany Morning Express of Wednesday, January 8th, 1868. The Latest Pirate Treasure Delusion At Hazardville, Connecticut, there is considerable local excitement in consequence of the following circumstances. D. Putnam, lineal descendant of the revolutionary hero who says he has recently been sent to Hazardville from the state of California through the influence of the spirit of Benjamin Franklin, has vigorously set to work three sets of men, night and day, paying at the rate of $3 per day in digging a subterranean passage which he claims to lead to a cave under a large hill, which hill is close to the bank of the Scantic River, where the spirit of Benjamin Franklin assures him he will find valuables in the shape of diamonds and bars of gold to the amount of $5 million, which was deposited by Spanish pirates three centuries ago, who, after being hotly pursued, burned their ships at or near the mouth of the Connecticut River, taking their small boats and coming up the Connecticut, being closely followed. They took the Scantic as far as Sowitoko Falls, calculating on taking an overland route to Massachusetts Bay, but being attacked by the Indians, and two of their number being killed, they deposited their booty in what was called a natural cave at that time, covering the mouth of the cave with stones. Mr. Putnam says he will enter the cave, if filled with wolves, angels, or devils, and if he is as successful in dragging from this subterranean vault the five millions as his great-grandfather was in unearthing a she-wolf, clairvoyant mediums will be above par in his place. There are a large number of persons visiting the spot daily from far and near. The disposition to be made of the gold is as follows. Mr. Barrett, the owner of the land, has one-fifth. The governor of the state, one-fifth, to be used for educational purposes. A gentleman in Boston, one-fifth, to be used for the Catholic Society, as the Spaniards were Catholics. One-fifth to the spiritual medium, and one-fifth to Mr. Putnam. <laughs> Lineal descendant of the revolutionary hero. Isn't this delightful? Aside from being bizarre, it gives me some valuable perspective. When I had only read the Syracuse article, I was thinking in terms of that article being representative of that society's view of spiritualism. But 
Note that this one has the headline, The Latest Pirate Treasure Delusion. So the Albany Express is explicitly stating right up front, this is nonsense. So while articles like this do make it seem as though people of the time were much more susceptible to spiritualism, I have to remember that there were skeptics. With that said, on to another kooky article. This one was printed in the Syracuse Journal on Friday, February 7th, 1868. The Oil Region The Flowing Well Claim of a Spiritual Medium Other New Wells Correspondence of the Syracuse Journal, Pleasantville, Pennsylvania, February 1st, 1868. Business calling me to Erie impelled a visit again to the land of oil. Arriving last evening, we were soon in the midst of many acquaintances and friends. This morning, hardly had we broken fast, ere the startling news was heralded through the village that the new well in the south part of the borough was pumping oil. Incredulity in some was soon checkmated by the fragrance of the genuine article wafted through the atmosphere. Soon in the current, we went with the throng to the enchanted spot. An oil tank had just been provided, and the oil that had been running on the ground was now conducted to the tank, the scene of the excited crowd gazing steadfastly upon the stream of oil perched on temporary elevations and hanging by their hands and chins on the tank sides would be an attractive embellishment to a painter's canvas. This well, noted as will appear in the sequel, is known as the harmonial or spiritual well and is claimed to have been located by a spiritual medium who, in a printed circular, describes his experience in locating this well as follows. I was, while passing along in a buggy with a friend, violently influenced and controlled by a power outside of myself. I was forced out of the buggy and over the fence. When I became entirely unconscious, I was then moved for some distance across the lot in which I was, and was stopped upon a spot which was plainly marked out by the control. After some more of the same sort, he subscribed himself A.J., which carries with it its own spiritual significance. The writer of the article goes on to describe all the new oil wells, how many barrels per day they're producing, yada, yada, yada. Then he switches gears and talks about the orphans that are being shipped to this town and the orphanages there. It's remarkable from a modern perspective because those tonal shifts seem to come out of nowhere, but clearly from the author's perspective, there was no shift. He was just describing the lay of the land as he saw it, and that bit about the spiritual well was just one feature of the land. You can read the whole thing by looking at the image in the show notes where I've posted all of the images of the articles that I read. So, you know what I said a few minutes ago about how there were skeptics? Well, I need to amplify that, maybe amplify that a lot, because since I said that, I've been doing some research. And, well, let me just read you this one article from later in the year. This is from the Syracuse Daily Standard of Thursday morning, September 24th, 1868. 
The Westfield, New York, Republican states that the question recently came up before one of the justices' courts of that village whether spiritual and clairvoyant doctors were entitled to recover for their services. A jury was called, and able counsel employed on both sides, and after hearing the testimony and the elaborate plans of the lawyers and due deliberation, the jury decided that this kind of doctoring was a fraud, and that Dr. Knayer, 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 K-N-A-Y-N-E-R. The plaintiff in the case was not entitled to recover for his services. The suit has been carried up to the county court. Now that was just the start. I got curious, so this afternoon I did a survey in the form of a query on FultonHistory.com. I searched for all Syracuse newspapers from the 1860s containing the word spiritualist. Got a couple of hundred results, scanned down through probably 50 or 100 of them, and what I found surprised me a bit. Most of the articles were about spiritualists who had gotten into trouble with the law, spiritualists in court cases, spiritualists in marital scandals. There were a couple about skeptics who had been spiritualists, but were now spiritualist disclaimers. Uh, Overall, I got the impression of a predominating sense of skepticism towards spiritualists. So, contrary to my impression going in that the latter half of the 19th century was all about an obsession with spiritualists, the impression that I get from my informal survey is that most people didn't buy into it. I would even go so far as to say that I'm not entirely convinced that we are less obsessed with spiritualism today than we were then. Well, it's time for me to wrap up this episode. Thanks for listening, and please leave comments about the sound quality because I just got a new microphone yesterday, and I'm anxious to hear about what people think. I can't objectively judge my own voice. Um, Obviously, I haven't learned how to make the best use of this microphone yet, so to my ears, my mouth sounds like a bucket full of snakes and Vaseline. So I'm going to be working on... Uh, reducing the amount of sucking and smacking sounds that seem to be emanating from my gaping maw. Again, thanks for listening, and until next time, seek context. This is Hugh Yeeman, and you've been listening to the Historic Headlines podcast. Thanks, as always, to Tom Trinisky for all his fabulous work on FultonHistory.com. Without his free repository of old newspapers, this podcast wouldn't exist. Oh, he'd fly through the air with the greatest of ease. A daring young man on the flying trapeze. His movements were graceful, the girls he could please. And my love he stole away. 